Good morning. Welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I am Ken Walls and I'm your host and I am like really bright right now. What is up with my lighting? Anyway, well, you'll just have to deal with me for now being really washed out. But um, I listen, I just got back last night from Miami and wow, what a weekend. Um, but I want to want to tell you, I have an amazing lady on the show today. Um, we're we're new friends on Facebook, but we have a lot of mutual friends in the automotive industry. And I've had some nice long conversations with this lady, and and you're about to find out why she's so amazing. Her name is Carrie Wise, and I want to welcome Carrie to the show. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Thanks for having me, Ken. I'm so excited to be on your show. I'm excited to have you here. I, I you know, you and I have had some great conversations. Um, we are new Facebook friends. I think we're working on our one one week an- anniversary, maybe. <laughs> exactly. I think the first time we talked, I think I felt like we talked for about two or three hours. <laughs> I know which we is talked awesome. for a while. We did. So um, you're you're you know you're a pretty accomplished woman. You've you've done some amazing things. Um, but you know this show I, I created this show to help people have a breakthrough. You know I've I've been homeless in my life. I'm a recovered alcoholic. I've done a lot of insane things, and 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 I've also been very blessed in life. And and so you know I want to want to kind of get into where. Because there's nobody that gets to where you're you're at in life without having gone through a few, you know, of the ups and downs, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. So Absolutely. I'd love for you to share how you, you know, got through some of those things, what happened, just some things like that. But um, let's start with where you were born and raised. So I was born and raised in San Jose, California. Uh, uh, grew up in mostly the same house all my life. It, it's one of the rare people that um, went to, all of my siblings went to the same elementary, same junior high, same high school. Wow. Um, lived in, the, my parents still live in the same house as I, I grew up in. So um, great place to grow up. Uh, Silicon Valley, obviously. And, and so you're kind of at the forefront and, and live around technology and innovation. Um, but I also kind of had this weird mix of a childhood because I grew up with two parents that were from Louisiana. They were from the, the South. They grew up in the segregated South and wow. uh, grew up very poor. So it was kind of a mixture because when I was in my house, I was raised kind of like a Southern child in, in many ways. Um, and then when I stepped out, I was in Silicon Valley. And I, I think it, that really shaped me wow. in some Wow. So, so you said, you, you said it's kind of a segregated. Well, I said, I said they grew up in the segregated South. Oh, I got you. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So I said, you know, when you look at their upbringing and where they were from, you know, in the, were born in the forties and 50 and they grew up in the fifties and sixties, um, in Louisiana. Uh, so much different than the children they raised, obviously, in, in California and the San Jose area. Yeah. So I, I think what, what was awesome about my childhood is that I had a lot of that tradition, right, of, of the South. 
Um, of course the cooking (laughs) and, um, the, the rearing in many ways, right? That traditional rearing. And then, and then we left the house. (laughs) We were in Silicon Valley. (laughs) So, so let me ask you this. Do you like crawfish? I love it. I love everything. I mean, I didn't grow up eating anything else, but (laughs) you know, Cajun food. So we ate gumbo all the time. Every holiday we eat gumbo. Right. I love so gumbo. <laughs> we have gumbo. I mean, we'll have a turkey as well. And, yeah. um, and etouffee, crawfish etouffee and jambalaya and all the red beans and rice and, and all of that. You know, I never remember going out to dinner very often as a kid because we were raised, uh, very traditional, a little, little more on the frugal side. There were yeah. four of us. Yeah. Uh, four kids and, and so we ate, you know, my mom was, uh, the ultimate chef, right? She, she would have definitely, taught some chefs and gave them a run for their money. Um, but yeah, there were four of us in that household, five years apart, all of us. So I, I have, um, I have a, a friend on here. He actually lives, he's a client of mine too, but he actually lives down in um, New Orleans. And, and, <laughs> and I was in New Orleans a few months ago and, and, and hanging out with him. And we went down to the, the French Quarter. I'd never been down there. And he, he said, he said, his comment on here is, I turned Ken onto some gumbo, which is true. <laughs> he did. And the king cakes. Oh my gosh. Amazing. And you know, I'm a little bit of a snob when it comes to, you know, Louisiana cooking because I grew up with it day in, day out. So, you know, it's rare that, that I love somebody else's gumbo. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll like it, but it's rare. No one has beat my mom Can or my you make grandma. It? I can make it. Oh, yeah. so thank the Lord. Um, oh, thank the Lord. You know, my, my mom passed away this past year. So oh, that the one thing, in addition to how she shaped who I am that I'm really glad she passed on is wow. she, she taught me gumbo before she wow. died. And uh, so I can keep it going because yeah. it would have been a crime, uh, to have yeah. Not been able to learn how to cook her gumbo. That's right. So. I love it. Love it. <laughs> I gotta try your gumbo sometime then. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm not. I'm not as good as her, but good relative to the rest. So that's awesome. That is Eat awesome. So so you um. So you 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 grew up with that. I guess Southern flavor. <laughs> we'll just yeah. But in the Silicon Valley. And and so what was I mean were were you uh, in a was it a wealthy family were you poor were you in the middle class Well I would say that my parents um were very hard working so they they were you know my my dad was an electrician um he worked for the the airport and worked on the radar equipment so he worked at, under the FAA yeah. um my mom was a social worker so they weren't you know um I guess white collar college educated at all. Um, but they were incredibly hardworking and they came to California to really, you know, give us a new opportunity. Um, they, they both moved to the Bay area separately, grew up in the same exact town in Louisiana called sunshine, Louisiana. Um, my dad, my dad came for the military to the Bay area and my mom had an uncle that lived in Oakland and begged her family to move with her uncle, her senior year. And they bumped into each other. And so I'm I'm not kidding you. They they got married two months later. Did they know each other already? 
they grew up their whole entire lives together. So if you ever heard of a town called Sunshine, it's outside of Baton Rouge. And it's a small town, like one, what I would say is like one light, two churches, very small town. But yeah, they grew up five years apart. You know, they never dated or anything like that. Um, wow. But yeah, they ran into each other. So they called their families and they, they eloped and, and, um, and the rest is history. But, but oh, I think wow. their, their hard work and upbringing, they both grew up very poor. My dad was um, one of 13 siblings in a, in a, you know, very small house. My mom was one of six. Yeah. Um, and so they they were very hardworking. And so I would say that we were better off than most. Obviously, moving to California, living in, in an expensive area like San Jose, yeah. you can't really make yourself poor. Um, but that being said, I never knew that, though, because we just we lived so frugal that I I never got what I wanted. I got what I needed. Right. So right. I just remember like always looking at everybody else, like wanting more. So, you know, I remember like the 49ers were my team and the people had starter jackets. I just remember like the gold 49ers starter jacket. Like I wanted that jacket. So that I ne- like, no, that was way too expensive. Or, wow. you know, I wanted Nikes and they'd give me these shoes like on sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I never realized really until I was an adult and looking back that, you know, my parents had paid off our house by the time I was a teenager. And like we were pretty decent, but they never let us know that. And and I and that was a gift. That was a gift. That's awesome. That we were raised in that way. Yeah. Uh, So. So, yeah. And and sibling wise, I had an older sister. Um, We were all five years apart. So I had an older sister that was 10 years older than me. I had an older brother and I was number three. Wow. And then I had another brother who was five years younger. And so we had kind of a, um, everything kind of was very competitive. So in addition to like hard work was just kind of like a part of our, our upbringing, but also just the competition. So my brothers um, both played division one football. Um, one played in the NFL. So I grew up and I played division one basketball so we grew up in a very competitive household, like always wrestling and fighting and and um, and racing. And, and I was I was a tomboy to to the core. To the <laughs> <Were> core. <you? laughs> um, all, you know, all boyfriends and uh, just rough, just rough. I mean, I like when I look at myself now, I still think like this is fake. Like this is like. <laughs> Like the polished. Oh my God! You're the first person out of 160 interviews to admit you're fake. (laughs) I love it. The 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 girl, the girl in me, the girly girl. You know, know. she's like a persona. She's a persona. (laughs) Like, but the reality is, like, I am as rough as you can get. I'm still a tomboy. It's probably why I picked a male-dominated industry to work in. Wow. That's awesome. I'm fake, but I'm real. <laughs> I know. I love, I love it. I love it. I mean that when, see that's that like, uh, I, I love it. I love it. You're, you're, you're calling yourself out and, and saying, you know, who I truly am is this, <laughs> what you see here, yes. this, this right here has to be this way, but it's not the way it wants to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the way it wants to be. And, you know, it's so funny because just speaking of that, 
um, yesterday, there's a there's a lady by the name of Mabel Peralta. Mabel, I probably messed she's her name up, here. but she's, she's a Volvo she's, girl. Is she on right she's now? She's on here. Oh, I love her. She, I do and, too. I see her all the time on Lisa's oh, show. Oh, she's she's amazing, and and she's an example of a girly girl in my mind. Sorry, Mabel, but she's like, you know, her <laughs> hair is always done, and she always is like, she's just always looking good, and she's wearing heels and. Yesterday, I actually sent her an SOS. I said, like, tell me what heels do you wear that are comfortable? <laughs> because I'm sorry, but I am over heels. And so she, she gave me a little advice. But oh, that's awesome. anyway, that I'd rather much rather wear my Nikes if I could every day. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. So so uh, she she's saying hi to you in the comments. So. <laughs> But so, so, okay, so here you are growing up in the Silicon Valley and back, I mean, the Silicon Valley isn't, wasn't what it is now. There's no way. Like No, no. I mean, I did grow up across the street from IBM. So there was, at the time there was IBM, there was Hewlett Packard. I mean, I grew up in the seventies and eighties. Um, and then there was kind of the second wave of Silicon Valley really after I left which was like the, the social media, right? Facebook and Google and, and all of that. But yeah, even back then there was, there was IBM, there was Hewlett Packard, there's Apple. I mean, yeah. those, those companies, but, but I had no idea that that was around me. I really did not realize that stuff was around me wow. until I, until I left. So, so yeah. So, I, so, so no complaints. I mean, I grew up, I had a, I had a good childhood. We yeah. weren't a perfect family. I don't, I don't mean to, there's, um, there's say that right there's no perfect family right no lord no no no, no and no, and no yeah we had our struggles like i mean right. like any family my my has. my family puts the f-u-n in dysfunction <laughs> so, <laughs> so but like like so you know if if so you went to high school you graduated high school did you go to college I did. I did. So, so in high school, I was a, a three sport athlete. I mean, pretty much from seventh grade to 12, wow. I was, you know, a huge athlete. What, what um, sports? So I played volleyball, basketball, and softball. And you were a cheerleader. I was not a cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> I, that was I a joke. Judge, I don't mean to judge like my bias against cheerleaders, but God bless you cheerleaders. But that just wasn't my thing. <laughs> Um, I was, I'd rather be in the game than to tend to cheer for others. I love it. I, I, it was a rhetorical, I, I knew. I you definitely knew. got me with that one. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, so I never was a cheerleader. I, maybe I was when I was in elementary, but, yeah. but I, I played three sports and, um, I, and so then college came up and I would say I was a good student. I don't think I was like, I, I never had a 4.0. I never had straight A's. Um, at the time, you know, I, I mean, I was ambitious to a degree. I, I, I mean, I, all I, all I remember wanting to do was work, you know, and I, and I knew that I would, I kind of knew I had to go to college in some ways. And it wasn't because my family like pressured me, but there were these kind of unspoken rules. Like, for example, my four siblings, um, they had the degrees on the wall. Mm. Right. And so when one person graduated from college, like it was it went above the fireplace and then the second person graduated and that one went above the fireplace. Uh, so now I'm graduating and I'm looking and seeing my two siblings and 
they added the third one there. And so it was just these kind of unspoken, like this, this might be the path. You're either going to, you're either going to go to the military, you're going to get a degree or you're going to get a job on your own. Yeah. And so, yeah, Yeah. so I went to college. Um, I went to junior college, which, you know, at the, you went to what? to junior college. Jew- jeweler? Junior. Junior oh, college. junior, junior. Yeah. I thought you said jeweler. I'm like, jeweler? Junior, junior college or community college, as some might call it. Yeah. And uh, at the time, you know, I, 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 I guess I could have done more. I, I wanted to play basketball, and I wanted to play D1 basketball. And that was uh, the best path at the time yeah. to be able to play. And so I played basketball at a, at a local – um, community college, and then I eventually transferred over. Wow. And I, I remember feeling, um, I don't know, there was some level of insecurity that, you know, certain friends were going off to four-year college directly, or um, and community college wasn't necessarily seen as prestigious in any way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think at the end of the day, like what I learned when I look back at that time, like I had my mind on what I wanted to be. And the reality is, like, there's different paths to get there. Right. Some people right. don't even go to college and ultimately achieve their dreams. And some people go through community college and some people. Right. But like there's different paths. Yeah. And I think at the time, like my my there was some level of insecurity that like, oh, I'm not like I'm not. Am I not living up to everything I could be? Um, but it, it but it still worked out. And so I transferred to Cal State Northridge and I played basketball there, um, which is in Los Angeles. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So you played college basketball. I did. I did. Yeah. I was at the junior college and then, and then transferred over to Cal State Northridge. And it was, I got to say, like sports to me. And it's why I pray my daughters and one of them is really into athletics, but, um, it, it was a game changer, like to, to play sports, um, you're just you're in the fire at such an early age, like yep. the pressure you experience yeah. and having the game on your shoulders, having to work with teammates, yeah. uh, all of that. Like, I, I mean, really, it that to me was one of the key things that shaped like who I am. That's Absolutely. awesome. Wow. So so you now so you went four years yeah, so I graduated in about four and a half years of, okay. of college, yeah. um, and I majored in marketing and business. And so I was very like practical in that way. Like I was like, right. I got to have a degree that's right. going to make money, right? right. I was like, um, I, I don't want a degree that like I'm still struggling, you know, to 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 make a living. And so I right. thought like business is a very smart, yeah. you know, path yeah. to go, um, yeah. and marketing. Obviously. So yeah, I graduated in 98 and I remember wondering, you know, thinking out like, like, what am I going to be? You know, what, what am I going to do with this? And so I, I had these dreams at the time of being like working at an advertising agency. Yeah. <laughs> to me, like, that's what you do, right? You get, you get a marketing degree and then you work at an ad agency because everything I saw on TV, it was so sexy. And so like, right. <laughs> it was a draw. It right. seemed glamorous. Um, and then I started talking to people who worked in advertising and realized like, like it was harder than it looked on TV. (laughs) I think that was my wife's first job out of college too, was working at a, 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 an ad agency. I think I'm pretty sure. 
was yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't know how it was for her, but you know, I heard like, you know, that first year I'd be delivering coffee to people and, and, um, working like, you know, 24 hours a day for, you know, not a high salary. And so I think it, it that when I started to kind of like actually me- like meeting people who were in the profession, yeah. um, realized like maybe that wasn't for me. And so I actually, um, was really blessed that the, um, fo- founder of JD Power and Associates, his name is, um, Dave Power. James David Power, which is what JD stands for, uh, was an adjunct professor at Cal State Northridge. Oh, wow. And so it was kind of, I, I, you know, a lot of people were, were getting internships at JD Power. And so six months before I graduated, I got an internship at JD Power. And, you know, really no plans of working in marketing research. In fact, like when I, when I would hear the word marketing research to me, it just, it didn't sound exciting. It, it didn't sound like the advertising agency. Right. Uh, right. Like doing consumer studies. And so, but I, but I, I stuck with it and I, I had, you know, what was probably a pretty crappy internship. You know, I checked data all day and, like it wasn't necessarily um, what I was expecting, but that being said, I built contacts that were amazing, and I graduated from college on a Friday, and on Monday I had a full time job. Wow! At, at JD Power, so um, that was amazing, and I and I and remember going like you, you know you, I didn't go and, backpacking or anything like the other college students. Right. So, you, so you didn't. You didn't, you weren't delivering coffee though in this job. I wasn't delivering coffee. Good, good. So, you know, it's like my job wasn't overly glamorous when I first started, but I was on something that mattered. I remember I was on a project for Honda and Acura. That was my very first job. And, um, and it was a research study for them. And I worked on that. And, and so I remember going, like, I'm not going to stay here. This, this job is not. At JD, pa- at JD Power. Yeah, at JD Power. I yeah. was a researcher. Right? I, I like managed, you know, marketing research projects. But I remember saying, like, this isn't who I'm, who I am. But you got to start somewhere. And I, I, I saw Brian Benstock post something the other day that says, like, like, don't complain about your, your, your seat on the rocket ship. Just get on the rocket ship. And so I felt like I was on the rocket ship. Right? Yeah. I didn't have the best seat when I was on the rocket ship. Right. I mean, JD so, Power. That's a that's a huge company. Yeah. I mean, what what was funny is that there were only maybe five six hundred employees, but name wise, it was huge. Everyone thought it was you know thousands of employees. And what was also great about that job is it got me into automotive. Yeah. Because JD Power, most of, you know, their largest sector at that time was automotive. Right. And right. so I started working with OEMs um, and then realized through my career there, I was like, you know, I can start hopping around here. So, yes, right. I started as a researcher and that's not always as like sexy and I might be like behind the scenes and not working with clients. And so I started to kind of navigate my way through that company and grow. I really grew up in that company. Um, working in research. I eventually worked um, as an analyst. I eventually worked in sales for years, um, selling to OEMs. And then I started working with automotive dealers, wow. which was probably the biggest game changer. And, and that um, was all at JD Power. Yeah. 12 years, 12 years there. And um, I think the beauty of that company is that they allowed me 
to kind of grow. I, I could hop over. I remember the first time I hopped over to sales, right? I had no sales background and somebody kind of took a chance on me, right? Like, you know, we see some transferable skills that could work. Um, and then like consulting, same thing. I was in this consulting division and, and the same thing. So I think, um, I owe a lot of credit to JD Power and like giving me that breadth of experience. I was there for 12 years. I mean, pretty much grew up That's um, incredible. From, from 21 years old to, you know, in my thirties. And, um, and I started working with dealers. So my, like my last stint for four years there, um, we had a dealer consulting division and we took consumer insights and consumer research and went like kind of direct to dealers and we would mystery shop the dealers and we would, um, basically kind of put together, uh, recommendations based on their consumers and what they were saying and the right. mystery shots we had. And so that was kind of my first taste in, in auto retail so, and, and kind of right diving into that. So, but let, let me ask you this because, um, so far your, your, like your story sounds like the, uh, a Cinderella story. Like, <laughs> like there was never any challenges. It was perfect. You, you, you quit delivering coffee. You got this dream job. <laughs> and uh, so, but, and I'm, I'm kidding, of course, yeah. but like, what are some of the, you know, from going back to college and, and, and and getting into the, I mean, were there were, have there were there times where you're like, I can't do this anymore, or or I I faced a challenge that I'm like, this this is not even like legit. I gotta you know like this is it. I'm done. Like, have no, you, ever, I, you ever had any you know problems like that? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'll I'll, I'll go back even from a childhood standpoint, and I, I mentioned like I had a great childhood, but. Not everything was perfect. My, my, my dad was, um, you know, he, he struggled with alcoholism at one point and eventually, you know, um, got help and to this day, you know, for over 25 years is, is been sober. And so I grew up with that, but I think as part of that, some of that frames a little bit of who you are. And so sure. I think what I always struggled with is being a people pleaser, for example, and just caring so much about what other people think of me. Yeah. And so that really, came from not just childhood, but all the way through adulthood. I still struggle with that, still struggle with that. Yeah. And, um, and so I just remember, um, you know, not, not driving my own path. I mean, in some ways I went to junior college because two of my friends went to junior college, right? Like I could have, I could have gone direct or done something else, but like, I literally had two friends that went to that junior college and I was like, let me follow them. And, um, and not, not knowing who you are. I, I think I definitely had insecurities in that, um, when I look back, I had so many strengths that I didn't take full advantage of at the time. Like I, I felt like, I feel like I'm kind of, um, a late bloomer in that, in like, in really owning who I am and being who I am. I'm 42 now, yeah, <laughs> a little easier, yeah. but, but back then I just remember, um, you know, having this kind of dual like confidence in some ways, but also like not fully realizing who I am and my strengths and what I bring to the table, right. like being more comfortable, kind of like being in the background. Um, and instead of kind of owning like exactly who I am. Sure. And so 
I know that's not like that, that. That's not a struggle. Like, you know, I've never been homeless and I've, I haven't, you know, I haven't had an addiction, but I think, um, you know, some of it's tied to being a woman. I mean, there's just, I think as a woman, we're raised to be, um, good girls. We're raised to do the right things, uh, yeah. probably more than guys. And so then you start to deal with the real world. And in the real world, that doesn't always work. Yeah. Like pleasing people, caring what people think, like the good side of being a woman and being nurturing in some ways can also hurt you and stifle you when it comes to the real world. And right. so I, I struggled absolutely, absolutely with that. I struggled with um, being myself and owning myself. And when I when I look back at, you know, even I, I remember I read a letter from a teacher. He wrote me a letter in high school and I just read it like a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And the things he said about me, I don't remember feeling like that. Exactly. Wow. Like, I don't remember. I don't remember. Not that I was in like completely insecure, but I don't remember seeing myself in the way that he was describing me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's just I think we all probably are like that in some ways. We wish that, you know, we could we could go back and take what we know today and the confidence we have in ourselves and the risks that we took and like do that earlier. Yeah. Right. And, and did you did you did you ever struggle with that? Like you um I don't know what self confidence, you know, you're you're in this you know, I've I've worked with with some women in a corporate environment that it was like, oh, my God, would you settle down? You don't have to prove to the world that you're, you know, like, did you ever like, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes, yes. Like, so, did, did, did did you ever struggle with with that whole dynamic? Absolutely. So let's talk about that. I mean, I think joining a male dominated industry. Yeah. You know, I think in the early years, it's kind of ironic that I think my ignorance and what I was facing actually helped me my ignorance, right? Yeah. Cause yeah. you're just kind of in this la la, I just got a job <laughs> at a college, you know, I'm going to like shoot for the stars. Right? Right? Nothing can stop me cause I'm ready to go. And then you reach your first roadblock <laughs> right. or you're overlooked. Um, you're ignored, yeah. your voice isn't heard. And I think, you know, that was what was, ch- that was what was challenging is like the first taste of reality that, you know, you're a woman in a male dominated industry. And let, let me just add, I'm an African American woman in yeah. a male dominated, um, a white male dominated industry. Right. And so, so it's, you know, you got, you have that as well. And so I think a couple things I struggle with is just that first taste of like, like I said, being ignored, not being able to connect the dots on why. Yeah. Right. Up until now, you've been in this protected world where your accomplishments just kind of like result in success or whatever. And now it's like, why did that guy get yeah. this role or why did he get this opportunity or, and, and you're trying to kind of like not jump to the conclusion that it's like, your gender or your like you yeah. want to think it's something else, but you face the hard reality that it, that there's more to it. Sure. 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 That this sure. is what you're facing. Um, the, the other thing I, I, I think, um, my childhood helped me with, but, but also as a struggle is just being different, right? Like, um, people take that for granted. 
right? Like if I took the average person and put them in a room where they were the only one, I almost want to do an experiment, like a show that we experiment with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like people kind of um, don't realize that I guess the level of confidence and the insecurity that can come up in that. And that's my life really. I mean, from a professional standpoint, um, I've had to get really used to being on my own and fighting the demons inside of me, mm-hmm. which tell me that I don't belong. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like it's, they call it the imposter syndrome that I, I don't belong, that um, I'm not worthy of being on this stage, that they're not going to take me seriously. Like, you know, half the battle is yourself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> is yourself. Right. I I I I would go a little further and say that ninety five percent of the battle is yourself. It's true. It's true. And I think I've definitely had moments in my career where I was paralyzed by myself. Yeah. Um, you know, paralyzed by, um, you know, my ego. You know, being overlooked or or not. You know. Um, you know, where I think there's unfairness, you know, it's one thing to kind of feel that for a moment, but when you start to settle in on it and week after week, you just continue to think about everything that's stacked up against you. Yeah. It paralyzes you. Um, because the reality, if I was really to think about like who I am, um, while there's been so much against me, wow, there's been so many people for me. Right. There's been, so many, like, really, if I was to stack it up, there's been so many people that have been, have, have had my back, have been supporting me, um, more than who have been against me. Yeah. And yeah. so I think as, as women, um, I think as people of color, like, we have, we have to obviously acknowledge that life is not fair and, and you may have to work harder. Yeah. To get yeah. to the same place as the guy next to you. That being said, if you really start to think about the people on your side, like that's what you need to propel you. That to me. And so that I finally figured that out at some point. I yes. figured that out. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, you know, there are uh, obviously I've not experienced that <laughs> and my light, my lighting makes me look like a really white dude today um, <laughs> but i actually am of indian descent but so so like you know i've i've never personally had to deal with that um i've seen it i have seen it um yeah. but you know you again i think it's like it's like oprah right like she's the wealthiest woman on planet earth. Right. And, and she's like, one of my favorite quotes ever is by from Oprah. And that is be responsible for the energy that you bring into this space. And, and that is absolutely the truth. So even if you are in that, that, that place, right. Where you're, maybe you're being suppressed because of something or whatever. Right. You can still take responsibility for how you attack it or how you come at it. Absolutely. I mean, for me, there's been a couple things I think that have also helped in, in that I've always just felt like I have to do amazing work. 
Like yeah. I have to do good work Love because it. if I don't win because I tripped and fell because I wasn't ready, like yeah. I can't, I couldn't live with myself. And so, you know, I need to, in order for me to really feel like, um, you know, I have some, I, I do have some control of this, right? Like yeah. I need to put out good work and yes, it may not be fair. The reality is that, um, I may, I don't feel like I have the opportunity to fail like other people have the opportunity to fail. Like yeah. I feel like I have to put amazing work out all the time. Yes. Um, and, and while that might not be fair, it's also the chip on the sh- my shoulder that I need. Right. right. It's chip on my shoulder. Like you may be smarter than me. You may be, um, you may have a better personality, but I am going to outwork you. Well, I'm, I'm not to- smarter than you for the record. <laughs> <laughs> and I love your personality. So I, I, I don't know, but you, I, that, that's like, I, so I think that, you know, again, it's, it's, it all comes down to what's going on up here. And, and you were like, I'm not going to be denied. Like I'm going to yeah. outwork everybody and and I love that. My wife is like that, by the way. She'll she'll oh, awesome. she'll stay up twenty four hours with no sleep to not be outworked. I mean, and I'm not yeah. kidding. Like I'm like, my name's Bennett, and I ain't in it. I can't do that. <laughs> like I, I don't know how she does it. I don't know how she does it, but she does it. And I'm sure you're like that if necessary. Yeah, no, absolutely. Probably to a fault in some cases, right? Is is yeah. that that chip on your shoulder? kind of makes you, um, you know, you're constantly like running and chasing yeah. and, and not relaxing. And, and the reality is that you have to kind of also have a clear mind. You can't always be erratic and chasing, 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 but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely wired, wired in that way. I mean, the other thing that I, I realized, you know, in those years of JD power is that, you know, if I, if I hit a wall in a certain position, you know, I would just jump to a new role. So I got to research and I hit a wall and I felt like, you know what, either there's no more growth here or they're not recognizing all of my talent. So guess what? Hey, there's a sales position open. Let me apply out of there. And so, right. Yeah. And so in, in, in some ways, you know, I climbed the ladder, not through kind of this linear ladder that, you know, would have maybe been ideal is just like stay in your same thing. What I slowly realized is that if I could make myself more valuable, like more valuable than a typical researcher, if I can get sales skills, and then if I can jump over to consulting, and then if I can jump over to the auto retail division, like if I can jump into all those areas, like I can't be denied from a talent standpoint. Yes. I'm multifaceted. And so when, when, when we start to, you know, at that, at that time at JD Power, there was a point where we started laying off. Right. It was 2006, 2007. Remember the economy? We were yep. all like depressed. Oh, my <laughs> the automotive, God. I remember. Right? The, I remember. Years. And I remember having so much confidence during that period because I had I had really um, made myself very well-rounded that you could put me in a lot of different things and different positions and 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 I could bring value in closing sales and I could bring value in analyzing insights. And yeah. so I think when I think about that time period, 
I jumping around definitely helped. And I, and I tell people, look, if, if, if I'm very loyal to my company and I'm not going to just jump ship. But that being said, everybody, um, you know, you need to, you need to obviously be a team player, but you also have to look out for yourself. That's right. If you're not growing, if you're not being fed, um, if there's not the opportunities for you to feed yourself, right? right? It's not just about being fed, but like for me to go and feed myself, then, then you have to keep an open mind. Yeah. You have to keep an open mind. I love it. And so, I love it. So, so you were at, you, you went from, um, JD Power and Associates, which is a, again, a mass. I, I worked at the Honda factory right out of high school. Yeah. And, and we literally, like the, the management, I remember it was like, Hey, we got to da, 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 cause we're <laughs> going to get the JD power, you know, number one again and blah, blah. And I, I yeah. remember that like they, they spent millions of dollars throwing parties to celebrate the, the, the JD power award. So that's a massive, massive company. Um, and you obviously did well there, but like what happened? Where, where did you go from there? So I remember hitting 12 years and I had, I had somehow weathered it through the economy that was tanking and everyone was losing their jobs in automotive. And, um, I had worked, remember, in my last four years with automotive dealers at JD Power, yeah, yeah. Uh, which was such a blessing because Edmunds.com had a position in a newly formed dealer division. So Edmunds.com is a car shopping website. And so I applied and I remember, I don't even think I really had all the qualifications for the positions. I think, I think it was an insights position under dealers. So I would be taking web analytics and insights and helping dealers understand, um, how to use it, how to make decisions. Wow. Really? So you're like, why was I qualified for that? Well, I was qualified in some ways because while I'm kind of this like personality, I'm a speaker and communicator. I'm also, I have a background in insights, right? From the JD Power days. Yeah. And so I remember applying for it. And I, I think one thing I would say, and once again, I'm kind of talking to women here, but I guess I'm talking to everybody in that I think women in particular, we don't always put ourselves out there when we're not prepared for a particular role. So in other words, and I think there's been studies on it, but it's like, we need to feel like we're 90% qualified before we, we raise our hand and put ourselves out there. Right. And then could be like 30%, 50%. Right. <laughs> and they're applying for the job. They're selling them <laughs> themselves. And so I remember having doubts, but I'm like, you know what? Let me put myself out there. And lo and behold, I got this director role at edmunds.com um, and eventually moved into training. So I, I led the sales training organization at edmunds.com wow. um, and then eventually took over our dealer training organization. So I had field reps that went in the stores. And so I guess once again, if you go back to my high school, I played three sports and then JD power, I was in six divisions and then Edmonds, it was kind of the same thing. Like, I just felt like I, in order to be well-rounded, you gotta put yourself out there, yeah. whether you're, you're qualified or not. Um, and that's, so yes, that's kind of, that was four years at Edmunds.com. That I, and, and that is the number one. I think that's probably the most powerful thing you've said so far because so many people are afraid to, and I, I deal with a lot of people myself and, and I see it on every level. Like 
there are people that like they so badly want to do something but they don't feel qualified. They don't feel, and, and, and you know that you see it, you see it in their energy. You hear it in the tone of their voice. Like, but like, yeah. if you would just go, just go jump in, you're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I love what Grant Cardone says. He says, commit first and figure the rest out later. Like, right yes. now I'm not saying, Hey, somebody needs an emergency brain surgery. Do not attempt that if you're not qualified. <laughs> Right. But I mean, hey, if they're going to die, there's you might as well. I'm kidding. Don't give it a try. So like, like you know, but there are that's that's a small, tiny, tiny, tiny little percentage that you would ever be in a position like that. Like everything else go. Yes, I I completely agree. And like, I want to make it clear. I might sound very confident right now and how like I'm talking about the past. But in those moments, I certainly did not feel um, this level of confidence. Like you definitely question yourself. Like I remember when I went over to Edmunds.com, I never worked for a website. I remember buying a book on like web analytics. Like I already have the job and I'm like, oh, crap, I better like start reading on this. Right. <laughs> like studying. And I'm, and I'm at a director level. Right. Oh, this wow. isn't like. This isn't like an entry level. There wasn't, I wasn't taking over a department that already existed. I was building this from scratch. Um, and same thing in training. When I first started doing training, I had, I had been a public speaker at JD Power. I presented to clients, but training, uh, salespeople and training dealers, like completely different, but I had the transferable skills. And so I think ultimately, I think, we have to take leaps yeah. and it's a vicious cycle because when we don't take leaps, we don't get confident. <laughs> That's so, right. right. And so then you're sitting there and you're like, I really want this. I want to break out for me. I remember saying, I want, I don't want to be known as somebody who is just a marketing researcher or, or only works at a marketing research organization. Like I want to be in the digital space. Right. Like I want to be where things are constantly changing. And how do I break through? Because everyone's looking at my resume and seeing this research and like, are they going to be able to understand that I could actually do both? And so, so yeah, I think we have to put ourselves out there. And for, for me, Edmonds was that exact step. Once again, it was a company that let me move around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, and then I kind of took it from there. Right. And it's just kind of continue to build. And and so so you were at Edmonds. I cannot even believe we've already been on here forty six minutes. Oh, That's insane. <laughs> so this this went so fast. So so so, fast. so you were at Edmonds. You said for four years. Yes. And um, obviously, I mean, if you if you are in a director's position there, I mean, you you know that's a that's another very big company. So like then then what happened next? So this is probably the biggest risk of my entire career is when I left Edmonds. So um, I was in a very cush role. You know, I didn't really have much of a brand per se industry wise. Like I had a lot of contacts, but not as as many as I have today. Um, But I was comfortable. You know, I had 20 people that worked for me. I had a good job with nice benefits and very comfortable and true car called me and asked me to review. And at the time, TrueCar, um, this is back in, in 2014, going into 2015, 
Truecart was not a well-liked company. Um, dealers were, you know, at one point had kind of um, protested against Truecar. Um, at the time, I was married. My husband uh, was uh, selling cars at a dealership, right? So he was in the auto retail. Oh. And I had dealer friends, right? That and so like to, to they that did not like Truecar. And so they were calling me and I said, no, and I said, no, and I said, no, I think I turned the job down a hundred times. Um, and about, it took six months for me to uh, finally agree to interview with True Car. And, and really it goes back to partially my friends and all of that, but it was my people pleaser ways. The people pleaser kind of like came out again. You're like, like okay, not- fine. I'll, I'll interview. I'm going to tell you no, but I'll interview. <laughs> <laughs> right. And why I wasn't doing it was because of my people pleaser ways too, because I had friends that were in auto retail and like, who's going to go. I didn't want to go against the grain. I didn't right. want to be in a company that were I, as somebody who a lot of people like was not going to be liked. And, um, and so anyways, I, but I knew that Truecar had some good things going on, right? Yeah. I, I knew that they had a lot of dealers on their program, even though they weren't well liked and they had a lot of uh, their leads closed. Well, they had partnerships with USAA. And so I knew all of these like good things as well. And so I, I finally interviewed about five months later, um, and, and, and ended up and- taking the job. So there's there are people on here though that are watching now and people that that will watch this in the in the future um that don't understand what True Car really is. So True Car is a car shopping website um that basically connects the consumer to automotive dealers. And so really the the value from a consumer standpoint is that they can get a price transparency. They can get an upfront price validation that they're paying a fair price and get connected to a true car certified dealer mm. that, that is, you know, focused on transparency and a great process. Awesome. And so we have about 16,000 dealers on our program. Um, about 8 million consumers are shopping on our website on a, on a monthly basis. That's and true car was kind of an up and coming site at the time that I joined. They only went public maybe the year before I joined. And so, you know, it was like there was excitement, obviously, because this is kind of an up and coming um, uh, website, but dealers didn't really like the tactics at the time under our you know, previous CEO. So there were commercials that were a little anti-dealer, um, the way consumers were getting pricing, dealers thought were causing a race to the bottom. And, um, and so there were these negative things that were happening and then they're asking me to come over as their VP of dealer relations and industry. Oh <laughs> so, gosh, you're <laughs> like, what? Um, I don't know about that job. And so <laughs> like, I, I like to say, there's always a number, there's always a title that you're willing to at least listen for yeah. and. Um, and so I interviewed and what ultimately what caused me to come over, you know, even though I had a lot of people telling me that I was making a huge mistake in my automotive career by joining TrueCar, is that I just felt like we can bitch and complain about a company all day long, but you can't change a company from the outside of the company. If you oh. really, if I really care about the automotive industry and if I really want to make TrueCar a better company, not only for consumers, but for dealers as well, I can only do that effectively if I'm a part of TrueCar, right? I'm, I'm on the staff. I love it. 
Right. And so that to me was one of the drivers is that in, in joining. And so I, I joined, um, there was an automotive news article within like two months of me joining with my picture, like saying, you know, Carrie has joined true car. And, um, <laughs> I remember a lot of people in that first two months told me you made a huge mistake. Um, there was no going back to Edmunds.com at the time because they were competitors. Yeah. So like, even if I made a mistake, I couldn't like, fall back right. to the position, <laughs> which is always, you know, you always think like, well, maybe I can just go back. You're like, I, I, okay, I guess if this doesn't work out, I'm going back to the advertising agency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go back to my college dream days, right? But, right. but there, was no, right. there was no going back. I just knew that, like, if this didn't work out, I mean, I, I, I'm an optimist. I think, like, yeah. something else would come, but it was definitely a big risk. Yeah. And, um, and I remember speaking at a conference. So I was speaking on behalf of TrueCar at these dealer conferences. I remember my very first conference. It was nothing like I had experienced in my whole automotive career up to that point. And it, there wasn't the love and there wasn't the good feelings that I got from the audience. But, but long story short, um, our founder three months after I joined moved on and we had a new founder come in about six months after wow. I joined the company. Um, and with him, Chip Perry is his name. He's still our CEO. And, uh, he came in and made dramatic changes and really used me as a way of communicating that to the industry. Yeah. Um, one of the greatest gifts I ever received really is being, you know, we all want to be, we all want to work for something that matters. We always want, we all want to make a difference. Yeah. And I think coming to true car and seeing the ch changes that were made and being a part of that um, was huge. Yeah. It, it made, it made risk worth it. <clears throat> so, so you are, and, and, you know, I keep saying I'm not in the car business, but I keep, being told that I am, but so, we've adopted you. Yeah, I've been adopted. So I, you know, I see that, you know, obviously, and, and I, again, I'm not, I, I'm not really that big in the industry, but man, I hear about true car a lot. Like I hear the, the name true car a lot. I don't watch television, so I don't see your commercials. Um, yeah. if you run them, but, but yeah. so, you know, like, uh, along your journey, because you are uh, again, and and you'll you can go back and read the comments. My wife asked a question. I'll ask you here in a minute. But um, the you know you've done some like you, your energy is incredible. And and I I I'll go out on a limb and say it's that energy and attitude that's gotten you to where you are in life. It it, it has has less to do I think with intelligence, which obviously you're incredibly intelligent. But that, if you have the right energy and attitude, you can, there's nothing you can't do, right? And, and, and I'm, we're going to get into that in a second. But my wife said, how do dealerships become approved by your company? So um, obviously, we have field reps out there who are in the markets. They, they understand the dealers. And so we're obviously going to choose dealers um, or want to work with dealers that embrace transparency. Yeah. They understand kind of what the consumer is expecting from, uh, you know, the level of service. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was it, amazing. And the first year I was there, and once we made those changes, I mean, we added 3,000 dealers in one year. We're at, we're at about 16,000 dealers. That's crazy. 
Um, and, and so, yeah, so that's, so we, 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 you really rely on our field reps yeah. to have the knowledge of the dealers and what they bring to the table. That's awesome. So let me yeah. ask you, let me, let me ask you this, Carrie, and, and, and let's get out of the automotive space for a minute and, and yeah. back in, back into life. <laughs> yeah. Real life. No, Real I'm life. kidding. I'm kidding. But <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Now every uh, everybody in the auto industry is going to unfriend me. Yeah, now, they're going to say auto is life, right? I'm sure is, someone's commenting well, on that. I, you know, and again, I was hanging out with Dan Moore and Shaka Dyson and all those guys just for the last Amazing. three days, and wow, so incredible. Elise Kephart, she was just on here many ago. She's amazing. And Melissa Burrow, she loves you. She's on here. Yes, hi yeah. Melissa. I love Melissa. There's, there's some. This is what, and I know we're going to move on from auto, but yeah. I without automotive, I wouldn't be where I am today. Right. Either. It's just like such a tight knit group, and um, for me to even work at True Car and to overcome maybe our past as a company and then still be accepted in the industry, like. Awesome. I mean, yeah, it's awesome. It's and a, it's and you, awesome. you just, weren't you, um, what happened at the, and, and NADA is, what is it again? National Automotive Dealers Association. Dealer Association. So yeah. they, they have their annual conference. It was in San Francisco. Were you there? Yeah. So I spoke for the first time at NADA. Boom. So I, I typically speak at about 12 conferences a year or roughly and um, all over, you know, from a, from a, um, you know, small conference standpoint to larger standpoint. But yeah, I spoke at NADA, and, uh, every seat was You spoke to nothing but a, a huge group of African American women, right? That was it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's so funny is that when I walked into my session, the, 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 the little girl started to kick in again oh. and I walked in and I remember seeing like every seat is taken in here. And I, and, and I just remember thinking, I can't, I can't believe it. And I hate to admit that to you guys because I should be confident. And I work in automotive. We're about pounding our chest and saying like, <laughs> I knew it would be packed, right? Like I knew, but the reality is like, I remember going, how did these people find out about my session? Like <laughs> they're here to see me. Um, and like you said, I obviously, uh, I may have been the only black woman in the room. <laughs> I, I felt a lot like when I walked in the, towards the back of the room, I felt like a bride walking in for her wedding. Wow. Right. As I walked in, everyone knew I was the speaker. Oh my, <laughs> my picture was up on the wall. Oh. So, um, you know, those are the moments where, you know, I have to ground myself because public speaking is not an easy thing. It looks easy, but it's not. And ground myself to realize that them coming here is the culmination of all the hard work that I've put in and the relationships that I've built and that I deserve. I deserve this. Wow. I love that. I love that. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm really good friends with Frank Crenitti and I was hanging out with him all weekend too. And he's, as you know, one of the number one salesmen in the world for the automotive industry. Oh, he's and he's yes. like, He's telling me, he's like, bro, every single morning I get up and I, I, before I leave the house, I get my suit and tie on, I get ready and I walk over to the mirror and I look at the mirror and I say, I love being me. And I high five the mirror. Like he's like, and until <laughs> I believe awesome. it and feel it, I don't leave. I'll do it over and over and over. And that's what you're bringing. That's it right there. 
That is it. I, I never thought about it. It's hard to dissect yourself and figure out like kind of what makes you tick, but that that's it. And I think um, the, the second part is I got to bring it. Yeah. Like if these people have chosen my session over the six sessions that they could have selected, like there is no failing in this moment. And not that I've never failed, yeah. but I have to at least have that mindset. There's no failing. Because like, you know, you, you're, you're out there, you put yourself out there on the shows every week and you're a public figure. And the hard thing about being a public figure or being on a stage is that you could be good a hundred times, but the one time you're not, <laughs> there's so much attention. Right? Oh my God. I know. Holy I, crap. That's the one time that everyone, it's like poor Adam, what, what is it, Adam on uh, Maroon 5, right, with the Super Bowl. Like, doesn't matter, like, anything he did in his career, we're only going to talk about his failure on the Super Bowl, right? I didn't so even I, see it. What, what did he do? I didn't well, see it. I, listen, let's not get into controversy because uh, I'm sure some of the people on there are going to disagree. I didn't think it was that bad. But some people thought his performance at the Super Bowl was like subpar. Oh well. So, yeah. but but you know those are the those are the, those I think about those moments like that and he you know he maybe he wasn't at his best but I try to think about like I have to give this audience some insights I have yes. to give them some value and I can't give them the same value as Frank Lopes is going to give or Lisa's going to give, like they all have their different angles and background. Yeah. And I have my background that makes my perspective unique. That's it. Right. So yeah. I, I, I had, that's another thing I kind of had to learn along the way is like, don't try to copy other people. It will only make you insecure. It will make you insecure. Like oh try, if I try you can like you and that like nice office you have there with the guitar in the background, like, if I try to be you and I try to set up, like, it, it won't work. No, nah, I, like, I will. Hey, I will take you on at some hoops, though. <laughs> <laughs> I got a basketball got court right outside my side door. Let's roll. So, no, yeah, I'm kidding. You'd kick my That's ass. Awesome. But, but the, you know, I think that, I, you know, I want to ask him. We're at the end of the hour, but I, I will keep going because you know why? Because this is my show and it's the freaking internet. We can do whatever we want. So love it. So so you know, but I do want to ask you this because you know I know that. Well, I don't know, but I assume you probably help other people in life, and and right, and that's what this show is about. That this show is about how do we facilitate or or foster, you know people helping people man stop all the hatred and the bullshit and 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 yes. and and start learning to love other people and help other people and give to other people so let me ask you this what do you think and now this is about your opinion and this isn't about the automotive industry although yep. we can include that this is about life this this is about the 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 guy making clothes in india or, or a, 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 whatever it is, right? Don't care what the industry is. What is the number one thing that you believe stops people from success and happiness in life? Wow, the number one. It's hard to put it in just one. 
you know, I think, I think ultimately, and maybe these kind of tie together, but it's what we, we talked about. It's, 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 it's lacking confidence in who they are mm. and that we're not realizing who they are. Um, and I also think, and I'm going to answer, give you two, is that our quest for perfection actually stifles us, mm. right? Like we can start right now being a better person, being a better professional, whatever it is, we can start it right now. But ultimately what we try to do is we think about like this end state of where we want to be. And after a while, it just starts to become too overwhelming. And then we give up. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I mean, I, I, I struggle with that perfection. Like, like just start. Good is better than nothing. It might, right. I might not be excellent, but good is better than nothing. Oh, right. Wow. So, Start, start doing something. And maybe you're not going to be at a 10 tomorrow, but even if you're at a five and then you move to a six and it's like, you're going to get there, but don't stifle yourself with perfection. Because the reality is that every person you look up to, if you look up to me, we're not perfect. We struggle. You may not see that when I'm on a stage, or when I'm even in a typical interview that I'm not opening up like I'm opening up for you, Ken. But, <laughs> but the reality is that all of us have issues. So if you're thinking like you're not good enough because I'm looking up to this person or I'm, I'm striving for perfection, that is probably what is holding you back. You're, you're, this is going to be on the Automotive News Network probably. Like Carrie Wise comes clean. <laughs> well, I was telling you, you know, it's rare that I talk about myself. Um, it's re- like in, from a personal standpoint, and it's rare that I dissect myself. So I got to tell you, this was a gift. This and really kind of going down memory lane. It's it's been a gift for me and everybody listening too, because you have achieved some amazing things. You know, I, we're both good friends with Lisa Copeland, and that's how yes. I know who you are. Um, I, I'm not in the automotive business. <laughs> yes, you are. Stop saying that. So, but you know, I think that you you bring so much amazing energy. Like I'm I'm all about energy. I'm all about reading another person's energy, and you just radiate amazingness. So, like you know, I have one more question. I ask everybody this question. You know, I've been through, I'm a recovered alcoholic, so I've, I've been through a lot of <laughs> self-imposed BS, but I, I mean, I've been through a lot of, I have my car repossessed in front of employees. I've, I mean, I've been through it all, but like, you know, if somebody were to call you up and say, Carrie, life sucks for me. I can't pay my bills. My electric's getting shut off tomorrow. My 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 car got repoed last week. I can't feed my kids and I cannot figure out what the heck is going wrong in my life. Please help me. What would you say to that person? Okay, I would start with the first thing, which is you need to pray. <laughs> That's what I would do. Yes. You Holy need to pray. Crap. That's how like, Steve Harvey ended his speech with that. 
I know everybody has different belief systems, but I got to tell you, a prayer has saved my life at times and, wow. and got me to a place. And maybe for some people, that's just uh, it's it's silence. It's 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 having a space, right? It's having a space where you have clarity. For me, it's prayer. For other people, it's meditation, whatever it might be. But I think you need clarity. Um, I think I would tell them. Two other things. I would tell them that they are not their mistakes. Mm. A lot of times when we fail and we make mistakes, we internalize it to who we are. Your car being repossessed, your, your alcoholism is not who you are. Right. You're, you're separate from your mistakes, right? Yeah. And as long as we, if we can separate those, there's always hope. There's always hope. And then tomorrow, you got to do something different. You don't have to stop. A lot of times people, we think about what we need to stop doing. Right. Like we need to stop drinking. We need to stop doing this. We have to think about what we should be replacing that with. Uh, you got to replace it with something else. Wow. So if you're overspending on money, you stop overspending and start budgeting, right. <laughs> whatever it might be. But it's not enough to think about what you should stop doing. We got to think about what we replace it with. Wow. Wow. I, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm speechless. Wow. That doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Carrie, <laughs> you are absolutely amazing. I'm grateful to be able to call you a friend now. Um, and although I'm not technically in the automotive space, I can't wait to, um, be, at, I'm, I'm going to go to the next NADA just awesome. so I can hear you speak. Oh, that would be awesome. Be yeah, the, I, I well, would I'll love. Well, I know a couple of other people there too, probably, but. <laughs> yeah, please come to it. And there's all kinds of, of automotive events coming up. So I would love to, to meet you in person yeah, finally. That's, that's awesome. You are, a, you're a shining star. I, I'm, I'm absolutely blown away. And everybody on here, wait till you go back and see the comments. Oh, I wish I could see them now. Well, oh, I appreciate there's... you. And all, all of the people that are, took the time to watch this, I, re, I really appreciate it. I would be nothing without, um, my tribe, as we like to call it in automotive. I love it. I love it. I am so thankful that you took the time out of your unbelievably busy schedule to jump on here. So thank you. Don't, don't hang up off of, off of Skype. We'll finish up in a second, but I want to thank you so much. Appreciate you coming on. Can you hear me still? All right. Thank you so much. I yeah, yeah, they cut out a little bit, okay. but I appreciate you as well. Thank you, Ken. You're uh, Thank you. The honor was mine. Everybody that was on here is on here. Thank you for all the shares. A lot of people have shared this out. So thank you so much. And thank you, Carrie, once again for being on here. Everybody go. Where can everybody follow you? What's the best place? So LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn under Carrie Wise, um, and then Facebook as well. It's under Carrie Reese Wise. Love it. Are you on Instagram? Are you? On, can you hear me? Yeah, what? I can hear you now. Yeah, thank you so much. Are you? Are you on Instagram? I am on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter. I think it's KKWise11. Okay. On great, Twitter. Great. So okay. you can find me. Find me everywhere. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a great day.